Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center, Rise Up Subs, and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. No Dr. Terry Sellers today. We are hoping that he is braving that cold weather up in northern Utah. He is not in studio for this podcast. I got a pretty great uh, buddy here that, that is, though, and we're pretty excited about that. We hope that you guys are rocking your New Year's resolutions. We're towards the end of January. Hopefully you've been sticking with it. I'm anxious to get caught up on if Denovan's been continuing to go to the gym, but we'll get to that. Yes! (laughs) We'll get to that. Um, Today I have a friend, Christopher Spendlove. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Jared. I appreciate that. Yeah, so I get the opportunity to work with Chris. I've known Chris for a number of years. Uh, Good dude. Got a message of hope today. So I guess anybody that's a guest on here, it's probably just safe to assume if they're coming on to share their story, they're a person in recovery. Yes, absolutely. True for you? Yep, it is. Cool. So before we get to Chris's story, though, let's start off with a little sponsorship appreciation. Our first sponsor that's sponsoring episode 142 is Steps Recovery Center. Steps Recovery Center is ready to help you or a loved one get help as soon as you're ready to reach out. Reach out by calling them at 801 800-8142 or visit their website at stepsrc.com to learn more. Me and Chris both work for Steps. They're a great organization. We really appreciate them sponsoring this podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So our second sponsorship for episode 142 is Rise Up Supplements. Rise Up Supplements is a nootropic line aimed at optimizing brain function and supporting mental health. That all sounds real technical. They're basically a supplement for the brain get the old noodle working get the noggin going so they have two powerful blends mind shift is going to help your motivation help your focus it's the gas pedal it's the get up and go it's the uh, red bottle mindful mood is more of your chill out i call it the weekend formula it's the brake pedal right it's going to slow you down um check out both of those products at riseupsups.com that's r-a-s-e-u-p-s ups.com and at checkout, use promo code PODCAST20, that's PODCAST in all caps, 20 to save yourself 20% off. We appreciate them sponsoring this podcast. All right, we got that rocking and rolling. We're good to go, man. Show right. some sponsors some love. Uh, we usually just start off with some new and goods. Like, what's what's new? What's good in your life, man? What? Um, well, lately I've just been a lot of work, a lot of school. You know that. <laughs> Always doing one or the other. I've got my my oldest daughter's getting ready to have a baby. Wow. So that's been a lot. I just went and picked up a bunch of clothes for her today. For that's awesome, man. Trying to get stuck. Boy, up. girl? Boy. Cool. Yep. Yep, little boy. And cool. uh, How's yeah. school going? It's I really didn't, well. I didn't know that you were in school. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yep, it's going fantastic. Nice. Learning a lot. Full-time or part-time? Full-time. Oh, my gosh, dude. (laughs) You're a busy guy. Yes, I am. Yeah, super busy guy. I found this new, well, it's relatively new, this uh, treatment program out of the UK. They're actually globally accredited. It's going to allow me to be a rapid transformational therapist, which uh, combines a few, like, neuroplasticity, clinical hypnotherapy, uh, psychotherapy, and cognitive behavioral therapy. Wow. So... It's it's working out, and I'm hoping to help a lot of people. That's like way cool. You guys do so. So you're work, you're looking to move into more of the therapeutic because right now you do like medical. Yes, I'm the medical director at Steps right now. Cool. And I do. I mean, eventually, I'd like to still. I the goal originally was to become a doctor, a PA at least, at some point or another in the in the future. But right now, I'm happy with the way things are going, and I definitely want to get into the clinical side. Nice man. Thanks. Cool. Yeah, you'd be great at it. I think you'd be fantastic. So. Thanks for checking in. Denovan, what's new and good? And have you been continuing on your, what did you have, like three days last time we talked? Yeah, hey, I'm up to 40 minutes nonstop on the treadmill. <laughs> Are you? Yeah, like no, just like a solid, solid run, jog, uh, walk fast. That's pace. awesome. So. That's, hey, 40 minutes is a long time, man. Oh, yeah. I do like t- one minute on, one minute off, two minutes on, one minute. Yeah, but right? you can like, like bench I... press cars and stuff <laughs> right. too, man. Yeah. I'm like, if I can like get out, out of bed of and my back is straight, it's, it's a bonus. It's like just, you know, so you know, let the old man have his, have I like his moment here. I like, wow. So you do more cardio than weights when you go <clears> to the gym. I, when I do something like this, I have to start like square one. 
So it's like, okay, I spent about a week just stretching before I even start running. So it's like stretch and walk, and then week two, okay. jog, week three, go up to a run, and then after four or five or six, then I'll start doing the weights. Because Slowly just ease into it. If not, I pull something, and then I don't go for a week, and then I don't go for six months. You know, Denman, you're a pretty smart cat. That's yeah. I like that. Ease right. into it, right? Tell my wife that. Slowly Jeez. ease into it. It's gorgeous. That's beautiful, man. Beautiful. Sweet. Uh, new and good for me. Let's see. Man, what new and good. So today I got my teeth whitened, and they're extremely sensitive. But <laughs> but I also finished up. I had a liner. That explains like why I had to adjust months. the camera lighting. Yeah. <laughs> Get that, like, I'm like, I need more filters. So this is kind of fun and cool. I, I had aligners for 18 months uh, and just got them off. And so I went and got my teeth whitened. And so that's cool. That's new. That's fun. That's like. Hey, wait, smile. You're on camera. Let's see them. Let's see them. <laughs> oh, you wow. You see those? Pretty. Are they pearly white? They're getting whiter, right? Yeah. So the girl's like, here's your shade. What shade do you want it to be? And I'm like, of course. I'm like, this one. And she's like, okay, I'm not saying you can't get there. It's just not going to be today. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm cool with that. That's all right. I'll see you in 30 days. I went and had implants put in, and they asked me, what what color you want? How? What shade would you like? And I was like, as white as you can. I want it to look, you know. (laughs) Ridiculously white. Yes, fake, if, if possible. But I want it white. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, then they are. They're very white. Thank you. Yeah, cool. That's just kind of some fun stuff. So, Chris, let's rock. Let's get rocking and rolling. Um, obviously, this is a podcast about recovery from addiction, mm-hmm. right? So, sounds like you have a a story of recovery, a journey. I do. I hate calling it a story, right? Because it sounds like we're reading something out of a book. Where does your journey start? What does that look like for you? All right. Well, I mean, if I need to tell, if I'm going to tell the whole thing, I need to tell the whole thing. I um. So when I was young, my, uh, my mother, she married a man that was much older than her, multimillionaire, and we wanted for nothing. It kind of instilled this horrible problem I've had to deal with as an adult, this king baby disorder, which you know what that yeah, is. <laughs> I was given the king baby assignment as well. Were you? All Absolutely. right. Absolutely. Yep. I'm right there with you. Okay. So I've got this entitlement issue I've had to work on really, really hard since I got into recovery. Um, that you, that you learned, right? It was your past programming. That's kind of what you learned as yes. a child. Yep. Got you. So that's, that's kind of where it started. I, I held myself higher than everybody else. I, I got what I wanted when I wanted it. And my family kind of, we were, we were codependent and it was, <laughs> it kind of did instill some problems. I mean, I loved my childhood. It was, it was a wonderful childhood, but it did cause some issues later on. Um, you maybe were a little spoiled, got mm-hmm. everything you wanted. Yep. Yeah. I did. So when I was, oh, 16, my, my family, my mother was a nail tech. She got with a chemist. She decided she wanted to start this company. And um, she asked me if we could break my trust and we could actually start it together. So her, me, my grandparents, we all created this huge international company. And it carried my family for a lot of years until about eight years ago, seven years ago, right when COVID hit. Okay. And... Uh, so we all ran that together. I was the COO, the chief of, chief operating officer. Um, I ended up graduating high school when I was 16. I went through this this program, PCDI, Professional Career Development Institute. Was this so? When you started, sorry, I'm trying to timeline wise. Your your mom opened up this business before you graduated high school. Yeah, well, it was right about the same time. That oh, I graduated okay, high school. okay, yeah. okay. So you're 16, graduated high school, already mm-hmm. the chief of operations. Mm-hmm. And I was not an addict. My dad was an addict, an alcoholic. I hated, I I was so. Like bio dad or? Yes. Okay. And so I was so against drugs, drug addicts. I thought it was just a complete moral dilemma. I hated drugs, hated addicts. If it had been up to me, I would have reflexively handed out the maximum punishment for every addict, for every, you know, infraction, anything like that. And uh, so I think that's part of what caused I needed to go through what I went through mm, to, to find get some that, empathy. Yes. The yeah. compassion, the, the empathy. And, um, so when I was 16, I, my, I got with the girl, she got pregnant. We had my oldest daughter when, when I turned 17, she was born. And, um, and then at almost 20, I was 19 when she got pregnant again with my youngest. And that was when I got in a car wreck when she was pregnant. So are you from St. George's? No, I'm sorry. I'm from Kanab. Okay. Born and raised in Kanab. Okay. 
Um, so small town, mm-hmm. typically in small towns, teen pregnancies higher, right? Mm-hmm. Statistically, right? There's not a whole lot to do, and so you know it ends up happening. Okay, yep. um, so what, what was that like being a dad at 16? That well, had to have been a some pressure. Yeah, it was. There was pressure. I was when I was young. I really had my together compared to what happened later when I found drugs and alcohol. I I did. I, I had my house. I had we had the company. I actually had a tattoo and piercing shop in Kanab called Sharps Tattoos. My mom actually helped me get, get cool. it started. But So financially, you felt like you were pretty set. You, yeah. You'd had that box checked. Yes. You weren't hurting for, you weren't pinching for pennies. Nope. And I was very, I was very mature for a kid. Very, very mature. So when I was 19, my wife was pregnant, I uh, got in a car wreck and I fractured, fractured my spine. I ruptured three discs and fractured one. Mm. And so uh, I didn't want to be on pain medication. I had seen what it, what that had done to other people. I did not want to go there. So is I, that what your dad struggled with? Alcohol mostly, but oh, that alcohol. as well. Okay. I mean, a little of everything. It's all the same <laughs> in the brain. It yeah. is. So I, um, I went to a pain management doctor to get a cortisone shot, and he had mentioned that they had a new medication out. It had just come out. He had just put it up on the wall to advertise for it. It was not addictive. OxyContin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He immediately put me on three 20 milligram Oxycontins per day. And so the fact that he's, the fact that he said to you, okay, I get that you don't want to be on something that could, you know, cause an addiction based on your history. This mm-hmm. is non-addictive. That was what kind of gave you the, okay, I yeah. need this for my back. It's yep. not addictive. It's not going to get hurt. Right. Absolutely. And, uh, completely wrong. He actually got fired, but he was a PA at uh, the doctor's office. He got fired by the doctor. For even putting me on three a day because it's a every twelve hour medication for one, and um, so I was off to the races within the first month. I had become completely addicted. Did you did you know that though at the time? At the time, well, it it became clear very quickly. What, what <laughs> yes. if, how so? Well, all my behaviors started changing. Everything I I started actually getting to the point where I would wake up really early just so I could, and then it became to where I was snorting the medication, not just taking it. And anything I could, increasing the doses just to get that same feeling. And as soon as I got that feeling and it started, I, I found something, something that I had always wanted. And um, I loved it and hated it at the same time. I knew what it, what it was meaning, but I was justifying it every which way I could. Um, so That's interesting, man. It's, it's super interesting because you've heard people say like, you know, opiates don't have physical hooks, right? It's, it's just the opposite of addiction is connection and all this type of stuff. And, and like, I, that's really great coming from somebody that's not an opiate addict. Mm. Like tell somebody who's addicted to heroin, that heroin doesn't have physical hooks. Right. There's a thing called physical dependency for a reason. There's a thing called detox for a reason, right? Like there's absolutely. And so, yeah, it's just interesting how you can go from feeling like you're on top of the world, you know, kid that's financially well off, you, you know, um, when had this car accident and then before you know it, the medication you're taking, your body's craving it. You start abusing it in ways that, you know, you're not supposed to. How did that happen though? Like, did you think of, because if you think of like a blood pressure medication, nobody's going to snort their blood pressure medication. Right. Did you hear from somebody? Did somebody, cause like I, the reason I asked this is I, in my own story, mm-hmm. I can remember, I didn't even really know what opiates were, but when I had my ankle surgeries, I would have people come over that like had graduated high school three years before I was even in high school. Right. And they were like offering to give me like a PlayStation and giving <laughs> me cash. And I'm like, for what? And they're like, oh, just a couple of those pain meds. Yep. And then I'm, and then, then I became curious, right? Like mm-hmm. it's no longer a medication. It's like, why are people acting so weird right. over yep. this? And I think a lot of it is the, uh, I became addicted to the, the act of snorting it. Like things like that, mm, like the maybe, ritual. Yes, the ritual. Of, thank ritual. you. That uh, that definitely became a big part of my life. I enjoyed it, and the more I enjoyed it, the more I did it. And like you said, I I became, I did end up with a, a lot of friends. They weren't friends; they were just right. other addicts, and we'd all sit together and snort our pain pills. But it, oh, it that makes me sick just thinking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, now it definitely does. Okay, so so, I mean. <laughs> It's our generational story, right? A lot of people that are around our age have hopefully um, haven't, but can probably relate to that. Yeah. Okay. What does it look like? Where does it go from there? All right. So um, my stepdad passed away when I was about 22. 
we moved over here. We moved the company over here. My whole family moved over here. To St. George, Utah from Kanab. Well, actually, is... to Laburican. Okay, look, mm-hmm. pretty but close. We did have a company here in St. George and one in Hurricane as well. Nail Salon, Training Center, and um, we it was a distribution center as well for the product. Oh, cool. So we ran those two and bought a house over here. And I was on, in my addiction, like I said. I ended up making a lot of the wrong friends and let them move right into our house. We had a big six-bedroom house in Laverican, and so we just let them move in with us and our kids, and and we started drinking with them, started partying with them, and everything got out of hand. Now, when you say we, is this you and your lady or you yes, and your mom? me and my ex-wife. Okay. So, yeah, we... I didn't live with my mother. <laughs> we just both lived in Laverick, and she met a man. She moved over here. Got you. And so we kind of followed over with For the company. Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and everything quickly got out of hand when it came to drinking, and then ecstasy came into the picture. Found that and just loved it. I was doing it every day and night, like loved it. <laughs> and uh, a lot of inappropriate behavior, a lot of horrible things happened, and I ended up losing my kids. Mm. Yeah, the judge told me if you have one more, one more pill, one more drink of alcohol, anything, you will lose your kids. And that night we still, it didn't stop us. We went to the liquor store and got a bottle and got drunk and the trackers took the kids. So, man, yep. man, that's a, that's a tough one, man. I, I, my heart goes out to you. I can relate in, in that way. Um, so of course, if losing your kids isn't, enough motivation to stop and doesn't right it's no. obviously it's not a will thing because people love their kids absolutely like that's the bio you know biohacking thing like you're you're obviously gonna love your kids right okay that example of the powerlessness like i i could not say no to the alcohol to the drugs it just was not a possibility for me and at that point how how old are you and how long had it been since since kind of the early oxycontin days 23 so four years yeah, so in four years, you're definitely, mm-hmm. yeah, Gone dependent. way downhill, completely dependent, yes. Well, I, I like to draw those distinctions because I think sometimes people listen, if they listen to this and they aren't familiar, they're like, well, that doesn't make sense. I can go to the bar on the weekend or, you know, once a month or whatever on holidays or anniversaries. And, and so that's way different than what we're talking about, right? Right, right. Like physical dependency is like a daily thing. Like you get the shakes, you, you end up having physical symptoms if you don't have the chemical in your body, whatever the chemical is. Yes. And I've met a lot of people that can just do, you know, once a week, once a month, they can just have a little and they're fine. Yeah. Recreational use or social. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So just lost your kids. Mm-hmm. What, what's your guys' relationship look like? Cause that had to have been like very emotionally. Yeah. It was very taxing. We ended up getting a divorce. We separated and, uh, how long did you get a divorce after once the kids had left? Oh, right after we both went through family drug court for a little while and she couldn't stay clean. She ended up leaving, signing her rights over to the kids. I stayed in through the the year, graduated family drug court, still didn't work out because we had been bound together in the, in the case for the entire year that I had been clean. So it didn't help that I had stayed clean the whole time and done what I was supposed to because she couldn't, she was still really deep in her addiction. Mm. So my dad took the kids, my dad, my step, my biological dad. So how do you end up in family drug court? Is it because DCFS was called? Is yeah, it because, because there was, because there was a case because of the, the drugs and the alcohol. Okay. It, so somebody phoned into, mm-hmm. got you any legal charges, drug no. charges, DUIs. I'm, yeah. I've had, I've had multiple. I think you meant right that minute. No, I yeah, at that time. Um, yeah, two or three okay. different drug charges and, and a DUI. So um, dealt with all of that. And after I got clean and realized I still couldn't get my kids back, my dad and stepmom came in and took them for me. Thank God. And they, um, they raised them for quite a few years. And I, in my head, I still was so stuck in my addiction. I went right back to the drugs. As soon as I didn't have anything to work for anymore, mm. all of a sudden the addiction came right back. So how much, you kind of fast forwarded there real quick. How much clean time did you have between Okay, I did family drug court, right? Just then, for family drug court that one year. Oh, okay. And it was only because so I had as soon a as the accountability stand. was yep. gone, Absolutely. you were gone. Yep. Yeah. I think the same night I went right back to really, yeah, really. And how old are you around this time? Uh, twenty, twenty-four. 
Okay. So yeah. you're still a young kid. Life still needs to kind of kick the crap out of yep. you for you to realize what's up and what's down. And it definitely did. One plus one <laughs> equals two and the consequences of life, right? And our yes. negative consequences of our disease. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So after that, I, uh, so mom and dad stepped in, mm-hmm. they're raising your kids. Okay. And then after family drug court, you, you kind of return back to active addiction. Yes. I did. Did this start to kind of weigh in on the family dynamic? Like, were you burning through tons of, you know, family money? And yes. <laughs> yes. In 2000 and, um, I think it was in 2000. Well, it was 2010. 2010, the CPA for our family's company came to me and she says, why? Because I was getting my salary. And she says, why have you written out checks for $119,000 over your salary in the last year? Like, oh, wow. and I fired her. <laughs> because I was not going to explain that, and I didn't uh, want my mom to know. It's way so. easier just to fire her mm-hmm. than to have to answer that question. Absolutely. Dang, success ruined you. It really did. It screwed me up <laughs> real bad. I'm not trying to be, a, <laughs> no, you know, I'm sarcastic, good. right? Good. Like I can, yeah. Okay. And it just kept happening. Like throughout my life, I did. I just, I was a constant drain, just miserable. Mm. My entire family, I was a horrible person, terrible father, a worse son, and. I mean, I don't even know why they tolerated me. I drained that company all the way down until I finally got it shut down. I was caught using drugs in there with other people in my office by the cops. And I had to stand there in handcuffs watching my mother's face as the cops were ripping apart her company. And she even protected me during that situation. She blamed it on COVID, why we shut down. Mm. But she lost everything. Everybody lost everything because of my addiction. That's what happens. It is. Absolutely. Terrible. So where does it go from there? I mean, you put in handcuffs, you're hauled off. You Mm -hmm. just realized you're looking at your mom, just broke her heart. Right. Is there any kind of like, okay, like this is, this is my rock bottom. Like I, I could tell, but I, something inside of me still thought that I was going to be fine. It was all going to work out. Somebody would clean up my mess and, and they did. They kind of kept doing that. (laughs) <laughs> so, so a big part of your story is like the enablers, right? Yes. The people yes. that were willing to step in, which out of the best intentions on yes, their part. Absolutely. We were very close. I mean, that's, it's nothing negative about them. It just, nobody knew any better and they were terrified and trying to protect me from hitting rock bottom. Mm-hmm. It would have been beneficial if they had just let me hit rock bottom. So let's pause right there for a second. Just chop up some discussion. Let's say we have a family member that's listening to this and they have a loved one who's struggling and they're doing that. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that are right. Taking on all that extra uh, responsibility and, and doing that enabling. Right. I mean, what would your message be to them? The best help is no help. Let them hit rock bottom hard, whatever that looks like. Yeah. That's what I tell all of the clients, parents that I, meet with at work all the time. For the first year I worked at Steps, I did all the family programming. Did you? I ran all the family programming and, and I would, we would have, we'd meet with the clients in one meeting and then we would meet just as support family and support in another. And that is kind of the message I would give them is, listen, you didn't cause this. You didn't create this, right? It's Mm -hmm. kind of the Al-Anon spiel. Yep. But how do you contribute? You contribute by allowing, by not allowing them to experience their natural consequences. Right. Right. Like you're sheltering them from the storm and they're continuing to, to do the rain dance to call the storm. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah, totally get that. Okay. I always use this in another analogy that I like too, is like if your loved one's life is a garden, Mm -hmm. right. And, and they're out there for however many years and they're working the garden with you and you're right there with them, you're supporting them. And, and then one day all of a sudden they lay down the shovel and they walk away. Right. And now you're trying to work the shovel and (laughs) right. Like the hoe or whatever that you're working on. You just can't do it. You can't like, you have to allow for that to kind of get overgrown and for them to come back and have the internal motivation to want to do something. Yes. Which goes back to 24 years old you kind of need life to kick the crap out of you a little bit more sometimes. Absolutely. Unfortunately. That's true. Yeah. And after that, I, uh, I continued downhill. I ended up moving in with my grandmother in Kanab. I was sending her to buy my drugs. 
like, and we were that codependent. Grandma. She was, my grandmother was driving to buy my meth, so I wasn't seen because I had warrants. Like, it got really bad, and I didn't care who got hurt or who was in the way as long as I got what I wanted. Yeah, isn't it crazy how... <laughs> so bad. Yeah. It's crazy. It blows my mind looking back on just kind of how selfish we can be in those moments. Mm -hmm. And yet at the time, it's like we don't, you don't even think twice about it. Not even a little bit. Yeah. Mind-blowing. So... Um, we're running out of time here. We've got about 15 seconds left, and then we're going to come back from the break. I'm definitely excited to hear. Sounds like we're moving into your rock bottom. Yep. Well, we're there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll find out kind of what happened and what life's like today. You know, talk a little recovery talk. We'll be back right after this little sponsorship mention from Steps Recovery Centers. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center, Rise Up Subs in the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. If you or your loved one is trapped in the cycle of addiction, there is a way out. At Steps Recovery Center in Utah, we believe in second chances and new beginnings. Our evidence-based treatments, compassionate staff, and supportive community guide you on the path to recovery. It is time to reclaim your life. Take the first step towards freedom, resilience, and a brighter tomorrow. Reach out to Steps Recovery Centers today. Recovery starts with you. And at Steps, there is always hope. Call us or visit our website to learn more. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center, Rise Up Sups in the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. Yep, you're still listening to episode 142. This is part two of episode 142, the title From Grief to Grace with Christopher Spendlove. We are uh, rocking and rolling. Chris is about at his, you know, rock bottom. Again, I always feel like these first parts are kind of heavy, right? Because we're walking through the mud to, to, you know, get to the other side. Um, I love, I think it was Jordan Peterson that said, your ideal life rests on the other side of all the stuff you don't want to do. And so we're kind of walking through the stuff we... You know, it's it's not the pretty pretty part right now, but but it goes to show if if Chris can do it, if I can do it, if <laughs> Dr. Sellers can do it, I mean you can do it, right? That's the whole reason for this is a message of hope. So we're gonna get back to his story. Before we do that, we wanna show some love to our sponsors, the Hilton Garden Inn. It is always sunny and bright at the Hilton Garden Inn. If you or a loved one is traveling through southern Utah, Give them a Google search. Type in Hilton Garden Inn in St. George, Utah. They have amazing amenities, really great customer service. The rooms are real spacious. We just can't say enough positive things about them. If you've stayed at the Hilton Garden Inn, go to Google. Give them a five-star review. That always helps. We appreciate our sponsors, the Hilton Garden Inn. All right, so Chris. Mm -hmm. Sounds like we're sending grandma to get drugs at this yep, point. I'm, yep. I'm trying to write. I don't mean to be like, but I mean, we can look back and laugh today. Oh, yeah, right? absolutely. <laughs> That's not insane. even a little it's... bit of shame anymore because I've worked through it. Yeah, it's just exactly. things that I've done. Actually, now I really I look for some of the horror stories, some of the worst things I did during the mess. So it can help me build that bridge with the newcomers. Help me show them there is life after this. Like, it doesn't matter what you've done as long as you don't ever plan on doing it again. And you're actually molding your life in a different direction. It's all right. Yeah. It's nothing to worry about. So it sounds like we're getting close to your rock bottom. Is that a yeah? Yeah. Okay. So let's go there. Like we're sending grandma to get drugs. That's pretty, that's pretty low. Yeah. You have warrants. You can't even, you're doing that because you don't want to be seen. Yes. Right. Completely isolating. Yes. And if you're listening to this and you're in a big town, St. George, Utah, Kanab, Utah, Laverk and Utah are not big towns. No, they're like not. You, you can get pulled over by the same cop in a week. Yes. And you'll just get to know Officer Rogers or whoever it is, right? Like, yep. So, okay, take me from there. All right. So I, uh, I had skipped over the part that I was able to see my kids every weekend, every other weekend for just a, a minim, minimum of three hours. I mean, a, yeah, sorry, a time. A, I had a set time of three hours. Yeah, weekly visitation. Yes. Okay. And uh, I would go, I'd show up late because I was high. I'd leave early because I was feeling so guilty about seeing the look on their face while they're sitting on the porch waiting for me. That devastation. Yeah. And I'd have to go use just to get out of the guilt. Like, it was this horrible, vicious cycle I couldn't get out of. Yeah. And uh, so then that's important because this next part has a lot of healing, a lot of, you know, 
it goes the other direction quite a bit. So that um, is that is like soul crushing, crushing. Oh yeah, right. Like <laughs> yes. So as from a guy to a guy that's been through that, like you know, I I had again. The, my kids not being in my life today is a casualty of my addiction, right? It just is, it, it is. And, um, I can remember the same thing. I can remember having visitation and going and having them so excited, you know, and, and just getting, getting able to spend quality time with them, have a good time, hear their voices, hear their laughter, play with them, right. find out what's going on in school, find out who their crushes are, all the stuff, right? All mm-hmm. the human stuff that we love. And then it's time to go. Right. One thing that used to break my heart, man, was my little boy would run. He would go to his mom's car and then he'd get halfway there. Yeah. And he'd turn around and he'd come running back to give me a second hug. Right. Like, and I don't care how tough of a guy you think you are, like that will crush you. Absolutely. That will absolutely crush you. Every time. So it made sense that you would, what's in our minds, right? Like, how do we get rid of this? Cause we don't like feeling this. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. So I did. I had to use to get rid of it. Um, eventually, it had gotten so bad, I just finally made this executive decision about a year and a half before I got clean that my kids were better off without me. A solid, quick break would just be better than this messy thing I had been doing for years. So I did. I cut them off. I just stopped going around. I didn't call them Christmas, birthday for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And I thought they would heal and they'd be fine without me. And... uh Excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> You're okay, man. And so um, I decided finally I was done. I was done hurting everybody. I was done with the monster. I was I was done with the show I'd been running for so long. And I was going to end it. I was just going to end my life. I had a bottle of uh, Seroquel. I was going to take them all and just, just be done. You had a plan. Yes. I was certain my family, everybody would be better off. The only tears at my funeral back then would have been tears of, you know, sorrow for a life wasted mm. or relief maybe but very few people would have even been there. Those were your thoughts. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's exactly how it would have went down. (laughs) Got pretty bad. But, um, so I decided to have one last hurrah. I just left for Vegas in the middle of the night, took my grandmother's car without asking and went and partied it up in Las Vegas for two days. And, uh, I was going to end it while I was still there. Just, just end it. And I ended up getting in a car wreck on the second day I was there on my way to go grab more Percocet before I wanted some more Percocet before I ended, I wanted one more high from the, from Walmart to fill my prescription Mm. and, um, got in a car wreck and I had warrants out of Utah. So they arrested me and took me to CCDC, which is the worst place on earth. Oh, I've heard, (laughs) I've heard CCDC is brutal. So bad. Yeah. I mean, I was sitting in North block between for a month between one guy that was in there for sex trafficking, human trafficking, and one guy that was in there for murder. And I I felt very out of place, but <laughs> it, it was terrible. Las Vegas, Nevada. Mm-hmm. Withdrawing. I mean, think of, yeah. It was bad. So, But I needed it. That was, looking back, that was such a blessing because I left from there. I was transported to Kane County Jail, which is like the Hilton compared to CCDC. They even put me back on my pain medication because that jail... It's just at your doctor's discretion. And because of my back, my doctor still thought I needed to be on my Percocet. So they just had me in this isolation cell with a TV and a DVD player and all my commissary and Percocet for two months. While incarcerated. <laughs> While incarcerated. Wow. Yep. And so uh, so I definitely, I graduated up out of, out of hell into Kane County Jail. <laughs> Ended up getting into Lionsgate. Chad Brandon, who works with us, he yeah. actually got me in. And they came and picked me up, and I was taken to Lionsgate, which was a huge step up from Kane County Jail. You know, bougie, wonderful place. I loved Lionsgate. Um, it's funny that you say bougie because really it's just a house for me that at they the time. keep clean and <laughs> yes. have food and running water, right? right? Like, and you can go out in the yard and play yeah. volleyball and throw horseshoes and sit around a campfire, right? And looking back now, I had gotten my I had gotten myself so low. So low, everything was just, I was living in a gutter pretty much, not literally, but I was, my lifestyle was like trashy, very, very trashy. So to me, that was very bougie. All of a sudden I was back in some kind of nice, nice environment. I get it, man. I get it. But, uh, so I, uh, 
I started working my program in there. I heard a lot of stories. I, uh, I saw a lot of proof. People were... How old are you at this time? 35. Okay, so the years are clicking by because this thing started at 16. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay, so now you're, f what, 15 plus years in? Mm-hmm. And uh, so 35, I decided maybe there was something to this working a program, getting a sponsor. Something's happening because people are living a life that they never imagined they could live. When did you first run into somebody who'd been through similar that you'd been through and had made it out? Do you remember who that first person was? Yeah, there was a girl I was in treatment with and she really inspired the hell out of me. She was back in treatment, I mean, but Oh, really? She did tell me a story of how she had been to prison and oh, countless times, drug charges for most of her adult life. And she finally decided to go. I think she actually came through steps as a matter of fact and she decided to get it together and start listening to suggestions, start, you know, mm -hmm. trying to mold her life in this direction. And then she said the worst thing they could say is no. So she decided to ask once she got completely clean and had some clean time. She asked the DA who had put her in prison if she if he would hire her as a court clerk or to work at the court. Okay. And he did. Yeah. And she ended up becoming a probation officer for court support services and she ended up with a client years later and relapsed over it. Mm. And that's why she was back in treatment. But it was still very inspiring to hear exactly yeah. how far she came out of the out of the depths of hell. Like to, that's possible? Yeah. I've just been running yes. Las Vegas, yes. right? Like, yeah, mm -hmm. I get that. There's that little spark, that inspiration that, mm -hmm. you know, might be able to make something of this life yes. that I once considered taking myself. Okay, so you're in Lionsgate, you're right, you're doing the deal. Right. What does that look like? Well, I, I early I recovery. Some... Let's talk early recovery stuff. Okay. Because I feel like that's something that not a lot of people really, you know, when they come on, they share their story. I did all this dirt and then I went to rehab and now life's great. But right. but it's it's so No, it's there's a learning curve here. You have to go through it. I, I heard a woman first say, and excuse me if it's not appropriate, she told me when I was first brand I had just gotten out of treatment. And I was in California at a convention. And she said, you know, don't worry about your character defects so hard because I was so scared I was going to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. And she said, in the beginning, your character defects are going to gangbang you. She said, you're just, <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> so expect it. And uh, yeah. so she, uh, so I did. I expected it to happen after I, after I heard her say that. And I worked on what I could. I took suggestions. I called my sponsor all the time. I worked through my steps. But I did. I did a lot of horrible things. I mean, I, I almost got kicked out of treatment for a lot of uh, iffy behavior. And yeah. it carried on a little bit. I, I was hanging out with friends that had the same amount of clean time as me. And we were not... The friends I have today have years on me. I'm still mm -hmm. a brand new newcomer to the, to the people I hang out with today. And there's a reason for that. But I, I had to go through that part Absolutely. to get to this part. Um, and I feel like that, that, I mean, it's, it's well said, you know, one of the challenges in early recovery, if somebody's listening to this and they're in early recovery, the reason why it feels like the, the deck stacked against you is because it kind of is. And here's why, right? You have whatever emotional, mental, social event that got you into using substances mm -hmm. that most of the time you haven't worked through therapeutically. Right. So like, I don't want to talk hypotheticals. I'll use me as an example. My dad passing away, my brother passing away. Right. As a result of that, I started abusing opiates. My wife asked me for a divorce. Right. Those are all real things that happened that I hadn't dealt with, hadn't processed, mm -hmm. hadn't worked through. And, and on top of that, then you have these legal charges or DCFS in your life and, and this pressure, right. That if you mess up, you're going to go somewhere that's just not fun for a long period of time. Yeah. So you have all this stuff. And then on top of that, you do have these withdrawal symptoms. Like I don't care what you say. If you've used substances for a period of time for months, maybe up to a year, you are not going to feel like the you that you were before you ever used a mind altering substance. That's absolutely true. Right. And so that's, that's why it's a lot of people don't make it out to be able to sit here on a podcast like me and you were doing is because they really do have the deck stacked against them. And then on top of that, try to get a job when you got a rap sheet a mile long. Yeah. Right. Yep. Try to get housing when people aren't renting to felons. Right. And back when I ran my dirt 10 years ago, it was a felony if you were caught, even if it was an empty baggie. Yeah. 
right? Like they, it doesn't matter. Felony. So yeah, I, I don't feel like enough people really acknowledge just how tough it is. In, it is in very, very difficult. The first year, first two, first three, heck the first five. Yeah. yeah. So what did that look like for you? What was your first job, man? What was your first job in at a Lions gig? Okay. Well, I, I didn't actually have a, I didn't get a paying job. I did fall back <laughs> on my family, which I know sounds terrible. But what I did do is, and it would, which is why it was fine. I stayed in sober living, and it was just fine with them because I was. I decided I wanted to try to mold my life, like I was telling you. I had an idea. I had a bunch of community service to do. And I always wanted to work in the medical field. Like I really always did. I thought that was completely impossible for me with what I had done with my record. Not out, it's completely out of the question. Right. And then I remember the doctor's volunteer clinic is a volunteer basis, and they might be desperate enough that they might overlook, you mm. know, these charges. And I was right. They did. So I went back there and just volunteered. It's a shoe and it's a foot in the door. Yeah, that's what I looked at it as. So I started volunteering at the front desk at first, and. I did really well there, so they trans they transferred me back and trained me in dictation for the doctor. I learned a lot there. I was quizzing the doctors constantly every day on everything. I wanted to know everything about every every kind of illness, ailment, any kind of medication, how they interact with each other, what is used for what, what the generic name, what the brand name. I I have like a pharmacy's worth of medication in my head now because right. of all of this. So I was going in every day, and then they trained me as a medical assistant. Safe to say you were very passionate about it. Yeah. I was. Because you weren't just punching in and putting your head down, checking your text messages and social media and punching out. Like you were actively involved in gaining all the experience, education that you could. Yep. I stayed for hundreds and hundreds of hours past my community service. I just kept staying. And and my mom saw this, so she Mm -hmm. didn't have a problem helping me, you know. You know, she'd help me, like she was already... Helped me a lot, but now that she could see a real difference, she was okay with it. Well, the cool thing about that, too, is you're getting your community service done. You're building up momentum. You're finding an additional passion that you've turned into what you're doing today, right? Right. Like, yeah, man, that's great. Yeah, it it worked out well. And then when I had a year, on my year, uh, my grandmother, she wanted to move over here, so I sold her house. Instead of getting a real estate broker, I sold her house, and um, she paid me for doing it. Very cool. So I took my kids to Hawaii on my year clean. Like first vacation. I got, oh yeah, I overlooked that part. I got Man, my kids Man, you are back. a spoiled kid. <laughs> you do come for money. I don't know anybody that on their one year clean got a trip to, right. to Hawaii. Sorry. That's too funny. <laughs> no, it's not bad. It just is what it is. So my kids, I got them back, by the way. My oldest, my oldest was about ready to graduate high school when I became well enough to take them back. Okay. And so my youngest, I got full custody back. The judge signed it, no problem. So they were with mom and dad. What yeah. happened? Well, my dad and my stepmom, they, uh, well, yes. they had raised them. But, I mean, they weren't happy. They weren't happy there because they okay. weren't home. They want, My youngest especially really wanted to come home. But they stayed, my point is, I guess what I'm trying to understand is they stayed with you, the, they stayed with your mom and stepdad the entire time? Yeah, with my dad and stepmom. They okay. did for those several stepmom, years. Yeah, right. okay. they did. So my youngest was 15 and my oldest, no, yeah, 15. And my oldest was almost 18. So what was that like getting them back in your life? It was crazy. And it was very slow at first for that first year. I would just go get them on the weekends, hang out with them, you know, spend time with them. My oldest, it took a lot longer to get her. Mm, She held a grudge, which, you know, rightfully so she should have, but it, after a while, it finally, it all started to work out really well with both my kids and I, I got them back in my life. I have, they're my best friends. We spend all of our time together. I talk to both of them every day. My youngest lives with me and things have changed a lot in that department. Like I said, I'm about to be a grandpa. That's mind blowing, man. (laughs) You're not old enough to be a grandpa. It doesn't seem like it, but (laughs) maybe because you started at 16. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's probably it. It's all right. You're just accelerating versions of your life. Yeah. What does that relationship like look like with your mom and with your family? I mean, did amazing. Yeah. You've been able to. Yes, everything's been fixed. Everything's amazing. We're we're very very close, and we're not codependent like we were. <laughs> like it's it's all worked out because of the steps, because of my sponsor, because of this program, and yeah, I don't you I don't abuse anybody. Everybody comes to me now for advice or what to do for help. My grandmother has cancer. She lives with me, and I take mm. care of her. She's going through chemo. So I and because of 
my medical working knowledge. Mm-hmm. I go home and take care of her all the time. And, and it's wonderful. I get to actually give something back to my family. That's cool. Yeah. It's, it's in really a way it's like a living amends, right? Yeah. Like you're, you're now able to exactly step up is. and help take care and take some of that responsibility and burden off your family, man. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. So I guess we, t- we come on here and we talk about life before, and then we talk about kind of rock bottom and we talk about life now. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of people have a similar story to yours, right? Like they, well, we all have a similar story, right? Um, working a program, mm-hmm. having a sponsor, right? What does recovery like mean to you? If I asked you, what is, how could you tell if somebody's in recovery or not? If you didn't know their UA results, right? Right. How would you be able to tell? What are some of the indicators or what do you look for when you, how do you define that? Well, it becomes more and more evident. I think that somebody's actually serious about the recovery. If they are out of themselves, if they're not self-centered and they're actually trying to do something for other people that in my experience, I know that the service work is probably one of the most important parts, Mm. you know, well, the so. treatment, all of that, the message in, in the mess, everything is very important. The step works, of course, because it's not 12 steps to teach you how to quit drinking or using. It's 12 steps to be a better person. And yeah. uh, That's why the 12 steps are kind of universal. A lot of people yeah. use them for a lot. You, you see other organizations or people that struggle with hurts, habits, or hangups that right. adopt the 12 steps. And I think the world would be a better place if everybody, even normies, just automatically practice the steps every day. <laughs> right. Yeah. Probably be no problems. I remember, so I was explained, the steps were explained to, to me like this, nine steps to freedom, mm-hmm. three steps maintenance. Yep. Right. And so if you listen to this and you or your loved one struggling, you know, keep in mind, there is a way out. Yeah. There is a path. People have been doing it for decades, mm-hmm. right? And, and it's real easy. It literally goes one through 12 yep. and you do start at one, finish at 12. But the first nine are really going to transform your life. Exactly kind of what Chris is talking about. I'm sure you had to come to the realization that you were an addict. Oh yeah. Yeah, I did. And then coming to believe sounds like the the girl in your story, mm-hmm. right? You came to believe that it, a better life was possible. Yep. Willing to turn your will and life over? Yep. I mean, you got to let go of control, get outside yourself, do some community service work stuff, right? Yes. Start thinking of others. Then, of course, you have, you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. personal inventory. So anyways, without walking through all of them, I think once you get through the personal inventory, that really shapes it so that you can take a look at some of those defects of character. Right. And you can take a look at your accountability in relationships and situations. And you can make amends for the people that you've done wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And then, then boom, baby, you, the, you practice that every day. You learn to pray and meditate and keep a connection. Right. And you continue to do what we're doing today on this podcast, spread a message of hope. Absolutely. And a lot of the thing, what, where I was hung up at first was trying to get rid of my character defects. And my sponsor told me, don't get rid of them. Just learn how to figure out, use, use your gifts from suffering, your addict mentality brain that knows how to get what it wants, how to circumvent things. You know, that's just a, a byproduct of our addiction. We learn how to think outside the box reflexively. And uh, so use that skill to figure out how you're going to turn the defect into an asset, yep. which works amazing. Yeah. For me, it has worked incredibly. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people that are out there that are, you know, let's say drug dealers. Well, I mean, they're, they could take that defective character yeah. and, and turn into a salesperson. Absolutely. Right? Be become really a millionaire good. real quick. Because <laughs> you hear people that say, well, I was addicted to the hustle. Well, guess what? There's a, a thousand other hustles yeah. out there. That are legal. Not gonna right. That you life. don't have to. Yeah, absolutely. And even just kind of thinking about what I'm saying as I'm saying it, like if the, if you're listening to this and you're like the 12 steps aren't for me, that's fine. But I, I know there's a ton of other resources out there. There's smart recovery. There's uh, Dharma. Dharma. Thank you. A Buddhist approach. Right. And so not every path has to be the same, but typically you're not going to get out of where you're at on your own. Right. Right. Your best thinking got you here. Yep. Your best thinking is <laughs> not going to get you out. And whether that's through self-help books, whether that's through a 12 step program, whether that's through Dharma, <clears throat> like sometimes we need to get pulled out of the mud. Yeah. And that's okay. It is. It's okay. Got about two minutes here left. Anything? Yeah. Well, I was just going to, I'll finish up with what's, what's happened since then, since I got my year. So I came back and I was hired by Julie 
at Steps, at mm. Steps Inpatient, to be a psych tech, <clears throat> just a part-time psych tech because there was not really an opening at the point at that point in time. But uh, I really wanted to work, and that was the only facility around I knew that that had a medical staff on hand, right there, mm. a nurse on hand. So I thought I could be an assistant to her somehow, you know, in some way, shape, or form, use what I had just learned to do that. And she ended up leaving two months later, and they gave me a chance. The doctor gave me a chance to fill her shoes, and I did. And today, I was a drug dealer. I was a drug pusher. I was in jail constantly. And today, I can call any pharmacy and call in anything I want. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I would go straight back to prison if I relapsed today because... <laughs> right. So today, I'm a phlebotomist and medical director. I run the medical team at Steps, and... And I get the opportunity to work with you guys. You're all it's so incredible. Everybody that works there is my family. And the clients, I love getting to work with these clients every day and show them there's something else past the hell that you've been in. Yeah. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. And I just want to echo, you're a great member of the team. You know, it really is a combination between you know the front, the house people, right? The front house people, mm-hmm. staff, techs, house manager, clinical, medical. Like you need all of those parts yeah. coming together to help love on some people until they can learn to love themselves. And yeah, it is, it's kind of cool, especially when you get people that it seems like the light comes on and that Mm. internal motivation starts to come out. Yeah. It's a beautiful process. Thank you for being willing to come on the podcast and share your story. I realize this isn't always super easy to come on and be vulnerable. So thank you. No, I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. I loved it. Yeah. All right. Well, we're kind of counting down the time here. Uh, For those of you, who have reached out. I appreciate it. I got this really cool story. I want to say thank you to Andy from Tampa, Florida. He called, he left me a voicemail, said he appreciated the message of hope and the work that we do. Andy, we appreciate you, buddy. We will see you guys next week on We Do Recover. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Seps Recovery Center, Rise Up Seps, and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of its sponsors. This has been a production from a podcast studio.